Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 49 of the Melissa RX Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. My intention for the Melissa RX Scripts podcast is to widen the path, to share stories and amplify leadership, especially women in pharmacy leadership and healthcare. I also want to share some love and gratitude for the frontline healthcare workers, which includes pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians working so hard every day during the pandemic and beyond. Thank you. And I also want to give a shout out to Michael Hogue, who was just named APHA's new Executive Vice President and CEO this week. Uh, Michael and I have known each other for many years since our student and resident days, and I appreciate his commitment to pharmacy practice, his passion for pharmacy education, and his outstanding leadership as APHA president during uh, the pandemic and focus on pharmacist services related to immunization and care. Just can't wait to see what he does leading APHA and collaboration within the profession. So congrats, Michael. So now let's talk about a leader. Kate Gaynor is Executive Vice President and CEO of the Iowa Pharmacy Association, IPA, and mom of four, ages ranging from 11 and under. Kate and I are going to be discussing many things, including well-being and work-life integration. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Kate and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and her many varied experiences in life in general. Since IPA was founded in 1880, Kate is the seventh executive vice president and the first female in this role. She's immediate past president of the National Alliance of State Pharmacy Associations and worked tirelessly to amplify the important role of state associations and pharmacists during COVID-19. Kate received her PharmD from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Following graduation, Kate moved to Iowa to complete a community pharmacy residency through Drake University at Medicap Pharmacy in Urbandale, Iowa. Kate, thanks so much for being here with me today. As we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and your University of Wisconsin pharmacy experience. Thanks so much, Melissa. Really an honor to be a guest on your podcast. I've listened to other episodes before and honored to be here with you today. Read most of my bio, but a Cliff Notes version on my background. I was born in Milwaukee and grew up in a suburb of Milwaukee in Wisconsin. Really enjoyed that experience. It was, you know, a place where there was lots of cornfields, no sidewalks, um, free to roam on my bike as a kid and uh, get into trouble along the way. (laughs) I love that. I'm the oldest of Three children with two younger brothers were super close in age, and definitely that part of my childhood shaped a lot of my personality. I made my way to the University of Wisconsin, Madison, and loved all six years there as a college student and being part of the Doctorate of Pharmacy program. Absolutely loved the campus, loved the college. In retrospect, you know, I want to say, I wouldn't do anything differently, but in retrospect, I may advise my younger self to do some things differently. There were opportunities 
at the College of Pharmacy and the University of Wisconsin-Madison generally that I just didn't take advantage of. And maybe we'll get into some of that later. After college, I landed in Iowa and it was when I failed to match for a residency program. So post-match and part of the scramble, I interviewed for a residency position and thought I can live anywhere for 12 months and accepted a position in Des Moines, Iowa. I was literally counting down the days to move back to Milwaukee. I had a condo picked out and was ready to start my life um, back in Wisconsin. However, I think talking about not matching for residency um, is really important. So many people view failure as the opposite of success. And I really think failure is an important part of successful careers and happy lives that we don't talk about enough. Well, I appreciate that. And we have had that as a reflection a couple of different times. And it's so funny, Kate, that you would bring that up. And I was actually going to highlight that too, that I think we've learned that sometimes a no, it can be a beautiful no and turn into the best yes, that there's possibilities that you hadn't explored or how you grow and learn and you're at the right place at the right time. So, you know, I really appreciate that you shared that reflection and also that you acknowledged, you know, what you would tell your younger self about maybe taking advantage of opportunities. I think that's important for our student pharmacists and for our emerging leaders that, you know, if there's the opportunity, I was just smiling, seeing that someone that I know pretty well, Liz Donnelly, just did a pharmacy rotation in Ireland. You know, her last appy was yeah. over there. And it's, so it's yeah. like when you see stuff like that and, you know, not everyone would have the chance to go to a foreign country necessarily. But I think what you're saying is, and I would echo that, is take advantage of things that push you outside your comfort zone because there can be such huge growth and so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. When I was a student, this is ironic, I was not active or even a member of professional organizations. I just never had a mentor encourage me to join or share why it was important. I kind of went through pharmacy school with the same mindset and group of friends as my undergrad years at the University of Madison. So if I could go back, I, I definitely know there were opportunities I didn't take advantage of and Seeing now how small the profession of pharmacy is, being able to get a jump start on building a professional network and learning about ways to engage and open doors. You can definitely start that as a student, but also I'm living proof that it's never too late to get engaged and take advantage of what professional organizations have to offer. For sure. I love that. It's never too late to get involved and get engaged and, you know, chart a new course and a new path. Well, you know, in your introduction, I talked a little bit about your beautiful family, your four kids that are close in age, including twins. So how do you do it? Tell me more about integrating work and family. What works for you? And kind of along the theme that we just talked about, what doesn't work? Yeah, I guess my claim to fame, I had four kids under the age of four. That's a big one. Yeah, having twins got us there. Um, Our older kids were two and three when the twins were born. And people say, how do you do it? And I always like to acknowledge there's probably a lot people assume I do that I actually don't do. That includes outsourcing, hiring help, proactively asking people to be in our village or being willing to accept help. Um, When I found out I was pregnant with twins, advice that really stuck with me was 
ask and accept help. So I've, I've carried that through. Um, and now that our kids are kind of, they're all school aged, they're eight to 11 right now, um, really being proactive in building a village to carpool, help navigate what's ahead and everything in between. But one thing that does work that is really important in allowing me to have the career that I do, and I'll use a quote from a book called Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. And the quote is, the most important career decision you make is choosing your life partner. I wouldn't be able to, well, have kids, obviously. Um, but also do my job if it weren't for my husband and his support of my career and my travel and some of the unique hours that are required. But it really is a 50-50 partnership. But we also say that we're both in 100-100. Yep. And acknowledging, you know, there are times when I applied for this position, I was pregnant with our oldest child. I almost didn't apply because I thought, I don't even know how to be a mom, let alone be a CEO of a state pharmacy association. And it was truly his encouragement and nudge to say, Kate, you can absolutely do this job. You know, his confidence in me was stated over and over, but also not only his confidence in what I could do professionally, but his willingness. And he said, you know, you'll have a on-ramp of two years or whatever that looks like. And I'll do more at home. I'll change more diapers. I'll do more pickups and more drop-offs so that you can be everywhere you need to be and establish yourself in that role. So I really think the importance of a supportive partner in life can't be understated. There's so many pearls that you shared that I want to emphasize. One, ask for help and receive it. And um, I think that's important related to the season or phase that you described with having kids, but we also know that people are dealing with aging parents, with other illness and, and different seasons of life. So that is such a good one. And I've also shared that insight from Cheryl Sandberg and, and Lean In related to the partner and would emphasize that that makes such a difference of, you know, looking at what's there and how you can navigate through it. And then I also think you said one other thing that we've talked about on other episodes, this idea of not taking yourself out of consideration before it's even happened. I'm so happy for you and Bob that you had that conversation related to what it could look like, what it would work. Cause we do know there's research that women tend to decide not to even apply for positions sometimes, right. you know, because of, of concerns. So that was a big one. So we've kind of talked about how you got here with the four kids and then being close in age. And let's expand a little bit more on work-life integration. You've talked about your team and um, building the village and all of that. So what works and what doesn't, or what are some like lessons that you've learned along the way? Yeah, I talk about this a lot and I'm, I'm just really passionate about helping working parents and especially working women get to a place where they're making it work. People say, oh, how do you do it all? And I say, I don't do it all. I'm just making it work. And we're all just making it work in one way or another. When our twins were born, hardly a week went by, probably not a day that someone didn't ask me about work-life balance. And every time I would be asked, I just sort of paused in my tracks and it 
that term never resonated with me. And maybe it's the pharmacist in me thinking balance must be a perfect equilibrium and being a little too objective about it. The term work-life integration resonated with me a lot more because being a pharmacist, working for IPA is part of who I am and part of uh, my professional identity. I'm proud of the work IPA does and the opportunity to serve the profession. And there's so many things within my life that are integrated, whether it's my calendar on a given day, bouncing back and forth. Like today, my kids are off school. It's a Friday. Um, so I was a little late joining the podcast because I was trying to get them all situated with breakfast so we could have uninterrupted time by bouncing out to the deck to record this podcast. So whether it's my calendar or my friendship, building on a vacation day to a work conference with my husband, work-life integration was just a term that resonated a lot more for me. And two things that have really worked. One is being authentic. Part of that is acknowledging I'm not the first person to have a big job and little kids. And there's so many people to learn from. And I really use my position as an opportunity to ask for advice and ask for help. And so many of the tips I've gotten for what works have come from other pharmacists and other professionals. One that I would share was actually from a pharmacist in Iowa who said, and the way I posed the question was, you know, is there anything you wish you would have done differently that you would encourage me to do while my kids are young or in school? And her advice was, I wish I would have taken off work when my kids have off school. Like a three-day weekend is a big deal when you're in elementary school. And, you know, as a working parent, it's easy to just have the nanny over or have your parents watch them or ship them off to a friend's house. And so I tucked that away because our kids were, I think, not even in school yet when I when I got that advice. But I really have asked for a lot of advice to to use along the way and just being open and authentic, knowing I don't have all the answers. I'm learning as I go. And the second piece of work-life integration that is so important to me is establishing boundaries so that I can have time away from work. It's easy in a lot of professional positions to always stay connected to email or always be available via text. But having boundaries and letting others around you know what your boundaries are. I found that when people are aware of your boundaries, they want to be respectful of them too. So those are a few things that have worked for me in terms of something that hasn't worked or just an area that I've had to grow through the last decade or so is being more flexible. I like to have a plan and I like to know what's coming throughout the day. You know, that's just unrealistic. So I've had friends and mentors and a great therapist, like help me work through that. But being flexible has definitely been a growth curve that that I'm still on, but it's so important for work-life integration. Well, Kate, I think for so many of us with a science or STEM background, this idea of flexibility can be challenging right. because we're so used to 
absolutes from a patient safety standpoint, um, you know, what it means to be make a mistake or not make a mistake. So, but, you know, as Sarah White said on an earlier episode of the Melissa Arc Scripts podcast, just reinforcing that, you know, in leadership and also in life, it doesn't have to be perfect and it's not a hundred percent. And so, you know, as, as pharmacists, we have to shift. So I appreciate that. And then I think you're also taking insights um, from people who have been there, but also just being vulnerable and saying, Hey, this is kind of, you know, what it is. So I just want to kind of say kudos that it's one of the things that I've admired. You know, you and I have been friends and colleagues for many years and your authenticity of how you describe, you know, kind of what you're going through or and uh, in both work and life and what that looks like. And I'm glad that you are taking today. And, you know, as we wrap up, I know you're going to have a beautiful day with your with your kids um, on this Friday. So that's that's a really cool thing. We've touched a little bit on mentors and how they are so important in leadership. And, you know, you and I both know the importance of mentors and leaders and believing in people. And one of the things that they do is sometimes they see things, see it, um, this spark, even before we see it in ourselves. So let's chat about someone that you and I both love, former Iowa Pharmacy Association Executive Vice President and CEO, Tom Temple. Yes. So it's, Hard to talk about Tom and and not smile, yet still, I'm sure we both have a heaviness in our heart um, as he's in hospice with glioblastoma. And for those listening don't know, Tom was the CEO of the Iowa Pharmacy Association for over 30 years. He was my predecessor. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say he has been the most successful state pharmacy association leader. Yep. Really ever. And, you know, success is defined a lot of different ways. I think when I think of Tom's success, I would just look at the growth of an organization building IPA to the strong state pharmacy organization it is today, Um, but also recognizing the people across the state that have built on the legacy of innovation, of collaboration, strong partnerships between the colleges, the state board of pharmacy, and the association. Tom really fostered that and created that legacy. Legislative and policy wins. You know, but Tom would say the most important definition of success was the relationships. Yeah. And you and I are two pharmacists that he believed in, that he saw something in, but there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of pharmacists that would say Tom impacted their, their career, you know, or their professional trajectory. And, and probably even more would say that he impacted their lives personally. Yeah. I echo that bittersweetness of us talking about him right now, but I also am grateful that we have the opportunity to do yeah. that. And also, I think, you know, since he's been on this journey um, the past year or so, many, many people have been able to take the time to let them know of his significance in their professional lives and their personal lives. You know, I'm thrilled that IPA over the years had done many things to honor Tom, but, you know, last year at your annual meeting did some additional things. There's activities that have happened at um, both Iowa and Drake with the Osterhaus medal and and the Weaver medal. He and I are both Weaver medalists at Drake. Yeah. I mean, he just opened up, I think, the world for so many people and also has been just a beacon 
of courage, you know, living life to the fullest throughout this. He, he probably would be saying right now, oh, you too, you know, okay, enough. Um, <laughs> enough, enough, yeah. enough, <laughs> enough. Um, but I just want to make sure that he and Kathy um, and the, the kids and grandkids feel the love from us and really from the whole Iowa pharmacy family and the pharmacy family across the country and really around the world that have been impacted by, you know, his advocacy, his collaboration, his relationships building, and then mentoring you know so many of us then he just taught us you can conquer the world you can do whatever and i i definitely carried that message with me with the founding of the pharmacy technician certification board and, and some of the other pieces so we love you tom yeah and hope that this makes you smile i know i would just add a memory that makes me smile i think i've shared this with you in the past is you know we host meetings as ipa across the state of iowa and Tom and I spent many, many hours of windshield time driving across the state. And, you know, those memories are really fond to me. And if I, I think of just a few things that I learned from Tom, it's, it'd be impossible to articulate it all on a podcast, but Tom always found fun, even in work. Yep. He made, he made work fun. And along the mentorship lines, he proudly like so proudly elevated others and continues to elevate others one other thing I think about Tom a lot because I tried to carry this out with my role at IPA is he was so skillful he's still very skillful at finding shared goals so he can bring a room of people together and pull through a thread of shared goals and build on that yeah, I think the, the one that I would add, and, and like you, there's so many, so it's hard to articulate just a few, but when you talked about fun and relationships and taking advantage of opportunities, I think about some of the dinners that we had over the years when we were at national meetings, and there was one special one. We were at an APHA meeting in San Diego, and he reached out and said, hey, we're going to have dinner. Um, do you want to come with us? We're going to Georgia's Top of the Cove in La Jolla, and if you've ever been there, it's one of the most beautiful locations, and I just remember thinking that Tom had a real skill and an art for not only creating fellowship and collaboration, but also making it memorable, you know, like to think, well, where do we want to go? Because, you know, we could have just stayed in the gas lamp district or, you know, not left right by the convention center. And so I think, you know, his philosophy of let's look a little bit further out. And, you know, as we're staring at one of the most beautiful sunsets, we can also get some work done, but also have a lot of fun. So, so many good, good memories. So, you know, as we're talking about all of this and kind of everything going on in healthcare and in pharmacy right now, there's so much to do, but along with so much to do can come burnout. And we know that burnout was a hot topic during the recent APHA 23 annual meeting in Phoenix. And you've shared your own personal experience on this important topic. So I was wondering if in our conversation, you could share a little bit more about what was going on. And we know that it's being faced, you know, as I said, in pharmacy and healthcare and embedded in the strategic focus for so many organizations. Yeah, I did share a burnout story from my own professional experience. And maybe instead of rehashing it, it was actually printed in an IPA journal. I could add it to the show notes because that'd I, be great. What I'd really like to share and what people have asked me since is. How did you come out of that without quitting your job? What would be valuable maybe to share here is those strategies that helped me come out 
of that burnout phase and also not reach that same low point. Although I'd say I came very close in the pandemic, but knowing some of the tools, I thought I could just share one or two things. The first one I talked about is boundaries and sharing those boundaries with other people. My team knows, for example, that when I take a day off, I'm not checking email. For a lot of working professionals, I think email is like a reflex. So you actually have to train your muscle and muscle memory not to check it. At least I did. But if there's an emergency, they can reach me via text. But usually things get figured out. And the next one, and something I didn't do, because my burnout story was really in year two of my position as CEO. And I would say that from my very first day to the point where I was sitting down with the executive committee in tears, and they told me, like, this was not sustainable, is that I was sprinting. And there's always going to be times in your professional career when you're sprinting, onboarding to a new position, putting in extra hours for a deadline, a one-year postgraduate residency program. But during those sprints and using like a running analogy, when you're sprinting, you know, there's a finish line. It's a finite either amount of time or distance that you're going. And when I started as CEO, I was going at a pace that was unsustainable without a finish line. So I always like to say, name your finish line. And I think one of the parts of the pandemic that was so hard is healthcare workers were putting in so much time to vaccinate their community, to navigate drug shortages, partnering with public health, everything that was involved. Those are pharmacy examples, but all of healthcare. And just globally, we didn't know where a finish line would be. Um, so the pandemic absolutely, you know, has impacted so many and it's very real still across healthcare and pharmacists, the feeling of burnout from the pandemic. And my last strategy then relates to that. And it might seem counterintuitive, but I'm such a strong believer that one antidote to burnout is engagement. Mm -hmm. So you might think I'm so burned out at work. Why would I do more work? But I mean, engagement outside of your actual work practice with other pharmacy professionals. So going to a meeting like APHA or a state meeting or a local meeting and connecting with other professionals that have similar lived experiences. On one hand, it may be to commiserate, but the antidote part is hearing and seeing that there is more or there is hope. There are pharmacists that are beyond where you are in that either burnout journey or career journey to a place where there's real professional satisfaction and engaging with other pharmacists and seeing that hope and what is possible can truly help recalibrate individuals, bring them back to their why, and also build a network of friendships. So I think if you know someone experiencing burnout, Boundaries are important. Naming a finish line is important, but sign them up, sign up together to, to attend a professional event. And I've talked to so many that agree with me, even though it may seem counterintuitive, but that engagement is an antidote to burnout. 
First of all, I just want to say thank you for sharing your story, and we'll link to it in our show notes and description. But more importantly, thank you for sharing practical tips. You know, I think that's really helpful of where do we start? And on your third point with engagement, we know that there's science and research that supports that. You know, the National Academy of Medicine related to looking at clinician burnout and the Surgeon General Murthy looking at loneliness as an epidemic and, you know, connection, engagement, purpose, the difference that that can make. So I mentioned earlier that APHA just had their national meeting. Your state association meeting in Iowa is coming up in in June. So if there's a meeting that you're looking at, you know, I think that this is a good opportunity for our listeners to sign up or register and bring a friend or reach out to a student or, you know, set up going for coffee or whatever. I, I think those are some practical tips. You're right. When you're behind something, then that's forward leaning and positive momentum, right? Yes. Well, good. So you and I have talked about some kind of heavy topics, but on a little bit lighter note, one of the things that you and I connected over the years is fashion. It's been interesting through the pandemic as going places shut down and then they came back, you know, clearly now in-person conferences are back. So, you know, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about business travel or or packing for some of these adventures, what to wear for presentations. You know, these are some of the conversations that you and I have at different times. And I know there's others that are interested in this. So let's unpack that a little bit. Like, what's your thought process related to it? And again, I love this idea of what you've put in place to simplify. Oh my gosh, Melissa, this was the last thing I thought you would ask me about, but It takes me back to a memory of when I first met you and I was traveling to DC. You were CEO at PTCB. I was a brand new staffer at IPA, so probably 25 years old. And I was in awe, not only of all your professional knowledge and accomplishments, but I also remember being in awe of just how well you were put together and dressed. And I realized I was not. So I loved talking to you about fashion because you knew so much more about it than I did. But today I have really found a way to simplify and dress in a way that I feel good about going out, whether it's just to the office in Iowa or to a national meeting, because it really does impact how you tackle the day, or at least for me, how I tackle the day. And, you know, a few things that I've done is I rent my clothes. I love rent the runway. I get five new things every month. If I'm traveling to a national meeting, I can get a suit specifically for that meeting. Or if I have an event that I want to rent a dress for, I can plan for that month. It really simplifies what's in my closet and I've been able to declutter. So I I highly recommend that as a way to to simplify. And I'm known to wear the same thing multiple, multiple times. If I like it, I'll wear it this week and next week, maybe even twice in the same week. It's so interesting when you mentioned about when we first met. And I, I do remember those trips. And I was always so excited to meet with the team from Iowa and the students because I I knew Jerry back in the day. But it's also funny that you would comment, and I've mentioned this on earlier podcasts, you know, oftentimes um, with PTCB, 
I was the youngest, well, I was the youngest on the board, the only female. And so this idea of presence was important to me, but I, I love this idea that you're doing Rent the Runway and how that's come together. And I think this also simplifying it. Lately, I've been, there's a podcast called Everyday Style with Jen, and she has this Everyday Style School, and she does these capsules with different colors for the seasons. That's been kind of interesting for me in the last couple of years. And I've got a couple of friends hooked on it too, related to putting things yeah. together. But I, th I think this idea of how do we simplify it so that, you know, when we're, when we're traveling or when we're going to a meeting that a it's easy, but it's also, you feel good about it, you know, so that it's, it's comfortable. And I have to say, one of the things that I noticed at APHA this year, and even some of the meetings last year is people's shoes are evolving because this whole idea, oh my God, when we used to, you know, walk around convention centers and places in heels or just pain. And I think the the um, pandemic COVID-19 has helped with life's too short to not be able to walk. And so that's yeah. been kind of, kind of fun to, I had my Allbirds with me for, you know, one night when we went out and had, had to walk quite a bit. So I think your fashion sense is on point and I appreciate the tips that you've shared and thank you for the kind words about your your trips to DC. It's a fun thing. And I also, you know, have to give a shout out to Susan Cantrell. And we were just at a meeting together, um, JCPP in February and ended up kind of dressed the same, not intentionally. And then yeah. also Diane- I took Ginsburg. a picture of you guys. Yeah. I mean, that was, oh, I'd love to see the picture. And then um, also- Drop it Diane, in the show notes. Yeah. Diane Ginsburg is another one who's always been inspiring to me and she is a shoe person. So that that's, you know, another good thing to think about. Yeah, well, along the lines of shoes and packing for business, if students and younger professionals listen, I remember my first couple APHA meetings, I think I packed eight pairs of shoes. Like I, I had a different pair of shoes for every outfit. And you're right, it's absolutely evolved. I think people can get away with more comfort and function. And we all realize you're walking miles a day when you're at some of these large convention centers. So absolutely have learned to simplify that, but it took me quite a few years. Yeah. And and I also think it takes sometimes when you get back and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm walking a football field. Like it is really this far. And so then you think to yourself, no, like, I, or, you know, I want to have this jacket that's a little warmer or whatever. So yeah, those are some of the lessons that I think we all learn along the way. I also think there's more of an acceptance too, which is really good related to this whole kind of movement towards inclusion, where people can be more authentic to themselves and dress expressively with what they're comfortable in, which I think is great. And that that I think is really important too for our students and for emerging leaders to just be like, bring your whole self through the way that you dress. That can be part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Just in the last, I think three years, I've seen dress codes be updated, presentations on professionalism that have been updated to be more inclusive. And it's a step in the right direction. I'm also fully in agreement with you that it's a, a good trend that we're on. Yeah. Yeah. Still more to do for sure. Because, um, you know, we know every once in a while that you'll see something and you're like, where someone will say, that that person shouldn't, whatever. And you're like, maybe we should reframe that or, or be a little more open. Well, you know, as we're talking, we've talked about pharmacy and getting engaged and your role with the Iowa Pharmacy Association and leadership. But Iowa really forever has been um, a leader 
in pharmacy practice and in innovation. So let's dive a little bit deeper related to being part of the Iowa pharmacy family and what's going on so that people from around the world travel to Makoka to Iowa to visit Osterhaus Pharmacy in Iowa City. There's Towncrest Pharmacy, some of the work that John Forbes has done. So what's that all about and what are your reflections on that one? All roads lead to Iowa. I I joke. And, you know, as I said, originally from Wisconsin. So certainly this was long before I took my position at IPA that Iowa had built a reputation and a legacy for being a leader in the pharmacy profession. And, you know, I, I think I'll point back to what I thought about my predecessor, Tom Temple, and his ability to find shared goals. And 30 years ago, he and other leaders in the state of Iowa um, had the conversation to bring the profession together and unify what at the time was two separate organizations so that the pharmacy profession would have one voice. It wasn't easy to unify the two organizations at the time. Um, I think it took three separate attempts. So acknowledging that failure is part of a successful uh, trajectory. IPA's unification is one of those examples. It took a lot of people setting aside individual egos um, that came out of some interviews um, at the time that I read about. But Fast forward to today and even, you know, in years and decades past, as you mentioned, Iowa's um, been a leader, having one profession and one voice has allowed pharmacy in Iowa to align its resources, um, have a stronger membership base and a louder voice to policymakers, to payers, you know, on legislative issues. And it was really forward thinking and has, you know, positioned us for success, you know, most recently in the pandemic and looking at um, health inequities and social determinants of health. In Iowa, our leadership, be it at the board level, committee level, um, legislative advisory level, has pharmacists from multiple perspectives and unique settings along the care continuum, all talking together and talking about what's best for the profession. So I, if I had to point to one thing, I would say Iowa's foresight in unifying the profession has led to, you know, really the legacy that predates me of innovation and leadership for pharmacy in the state. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think the foresight is so important and also tenacity and grit to get through it, to realize that sometimes you climb the hill and you know your path is not straight up the mountain, but through hard work and diligence and collaboration, compromise that you know you it can lead to some amazing things and some really cool innovation. Well, What's so funny, Kate, you and I could keep going for sure. I know, right? I'm like, oh, I probably have been talking too long, but it's just like we're having a conversation at lunch or something. Yeah, no, you have not been talking too long. But at the close of my Melissa Rx Scripps podcast conversations, I ask everyone this question. You know, while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx Scripps? 
I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'd go back to failure isn't the opposite of success. And to keep in mind, fail forward. Each time you don't achieve something, you know, what's the growth opportunity and how can that move you forward? For me, I gave the one example of not matching for a residency. And I think back, had I matched at the site's that I ranked, I never would have moved to Iowa. My life would have taken on a completely different trajectory. So fail forward and failure isn't the opposite of success, but an important ingredient to successful career and a happy life. Love, love, love that one. Fail forward and failure isn't the opposite of success and and look for the growth opportunity. So, so cool. Well, Kate, thanks for sharing your insights with me. It has been so fun um, catching up this morning. This is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. And to everyone listening, please subscribe to our show and follow me, Melissa Muir Corrigan on social media. I want to give a special shout out to my producer, Kate Cruz with Executive Podcast Solutions, who helps make the magic happen. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Melissa. I really enjoyed it. And amazingly, none of my kids interrupted us this morning. So happy to spend the hour with you. Well, let's count that as a victory for sure. It's been fun.